we've begun to idolize our busyness. That if I'm not busy, there must be something wrong. If I don't have every minute of my day scheduled, I must not be good enough. I'm not smart enough. People don't want to hang out with me. I'm not a good enough leader. Whatever that is, we have become a culture that idolizes how busy we are. But what if we as followers of Jesus Christ are actually busy with the wrong things? I want you to think for a moment of your day today. It's Sunday morning. I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want you to shout out what you're doing. But I want you to think for a moment, what do you have planned for this day, the moment you walk out of this building? How many of you are busy? You've got chores to do. You've got groceries to pick up. You've got email that you didn't respond to during the week. You have a paper that's due for school. That's due tomorrow. You left it to Sunday. I did that all through school. We're busy. We're busy. What do you have going on today? Just get that in your mind right now. Now, what if, what if you got a word from God and you were told that Jesus Christ will return at 9.15 p.m. tonight? What you would say is, Pastor Kevin, that couldn't happen because the Bible is clear that no one will know the date and the hour of his return. Okay, I get that. Let's not argue over that. This is a hypothetical question. Okay? But what you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was going to return at 9.15 tonight? Would that change your plans today? Or would you just keep on doing the exact same thing you already had planned? Are we as Christians too busy in the wrong things? And that's what I want us to talk about today as we kick off this new series called Fortified Faith. We're going to spend the next few Sundays leading into Easter Sunday going through a letter of the New Testament written by the Apostle Peter. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up. It's right near the very back of your Bible. It's a letter called Second Peter. And we're going to go through this, um, so I encourage you to grab a Bible, or if you've got the mobile uh, church app, you can follow along in the text. But I want to encourage you over the next few weeks, as we spend time in this letter, bring a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. Write your name in it. That is your gift. No one's going to frisk you when you leave the building today. It's yours. And we're going to look at this text. If you grab that, that Bible in the chair, it's on page 100, uh, sorry, 1,225. Because I want you to see this. I, I don't want you to think, this is, well, this is just Pastor Kevin's opinion. You need to see that this is in the Bible. This is in the Word of God. And this is what God is calling us to as the church today. You see, Peter who's one of Jesus' um, most trusted followers, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, as an apostle who's going out and starting all these churches, Peter had a very big problem that he had to deal with in the church. Now, you would think that the church would have no problems because it's brand new, right? You'd think that there wouldn't be any arguments in the church, right? Because it's like, if you had any questions... You know when we go around as Christians, we go, what would Jesus do? Well, we can argue and we can debate that because none of us were there. 
But in those days, Peter was there. What would Jesus do? Oh, let's go ask Peter. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. We don't have to argue about this. But we're human. And what happened, what was happening in Peter's day is that people were coming into the church saying, we shouldn't listen to the apostles. We shouldn't listen to Peter. We shouldn't listen to Paul. We shouldn't listen to James. And the reason they were saying this is because Jesus had said that he would return soon. And the apostles were going around starting all these new churches saying Jesus is going to return soon. Now, 40 years later is when this letter is written. And in 40 years, Jesus hasn't, he has not returned. And so people started saying, don't listen to the apostles. The apostles got it wrong. There's no final judgment. Jesus is not going to return. He's not going to judge the living and the dead. Our sin is already forgiven. So therefore, do whatever you want. Party on, dude. Have a great time. Drink, party, sleep around. None of it matters. You could just sin and sin and sin. And it's forgiven because God loves you. Jesus died for those sins, so just keep on sinning. They had forgotten the promise that Jesus would return. And they got busy living their life any way that they want. 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for this soon to happen. And because it's been 2,000 years... Eh, what's another year? I'm not going to worry about the return of Jesus. It hasn't happened yet. So, eh, not going to worry about it this year. I'll worry about it next year. I'll worry about it five years from now. I'll worry about it 10 years from now, 30 years from now. And we as the church today can become incredibly complacent in how we are spending our time because the return of Jesus just seems like this far off thing that we don't have to worry about. And so that's what I want us to look at as we begin looking at this letter of 2 Peter, is I want us to see the life that Peter is calling the church to live in light of the fact, in the fact that the truth is Jesus will return soon. How do we need to live differently? Peter writes this letter to Christians from prison. Peter is waiting to die under Roman arrest. And he writes this saying, okay, I get it. It's been 30 years. It's been 40 years. It may feel like that's a long time, but don't give up. Keep living your life for Christ. And the message for us 2,000 years later is exactly the same. Don't give up. It may feel like a long time, but it's soon. It's still soon. So we need to be focused on the way God calls us to live in the world today. So let's read this together. I'm going to be reading uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is what Peter writes to the church. He says, His divine power, talking about Jesus Christ our Lord, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, 
who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, through, through his divine power, through his glory, through his goodness, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, through these promises, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we praise you uh, for your word. And Lord, as we unpack your word together today as a church family, I pray that you would give us understanding and that your spirit, the same spirit that wrote these words would speak to us and that we would leave here today different. We would leave here changed by the power of your word. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, as we open up this letter together, I want us to draw out from this passage we read three key things that Peter has to say to us as followers of Jesus on how we are called to live our lives. And again, this is not my opinion. I want you to see this. We're going to look at some of these words in here today. If you have a pen, circle them right in the margins. If you took one of the pew Bibles in the chair in front of you, man, you have total permission right all over that sucker. You should see my study Bible. It's starting to get to the point where, man, I'm going to have to buy a new Bible soon because I'm constantly highlighting and writing and margins and all of these things. But I want you to see this for yourself, that God is calling us to live different because of the soon return of Jesus. The first point is this, is that we live different because we are cleaned up. We live different because we are cleaned up. Look closely here what it says in verse 3. It says, His divine power. So whose divine power? It's the divine power of Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You see, we kind of have this tension in the world today, is what does it even mean to live a godly life? Well, living a godly life just means be a good person, love your neighbor, volunteer in the community, maybe put some money in a basket or in a, you know, at the mall to donate to some kind of charity. You know, be nice and considerate to people. And if you do that, you're going to live this godly life. You see, every religion on the planet except the Christian faith, tells you to live that way 
be good, be good, be good, and maybe God will love you. Maybe. You're never quite sure, because deep down you know, even as you're striving to be good, you keep doing some stuff that's bad. You kind of argue with your spouse over something really stupid. Really stupid. And you're like, I can't believe I just chewed out the person I love the most over that. What's wrong with me? Oh, it's because you're a sinful, you have a sinful nature. That's why we do it. That's why we talk bad. That's why we think bad. That's why we do the things that we don't want to do. So every face on the planet, we're constantly living in doubt on whether or not God loves us and will forgive us. But the Christian faith is the exact opposite. Is that God so loves the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life because of not what we do, but because what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And not only did Jesus die for us to pay for our sins, is Jesus, when he ascended back into heaven, he sent the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to come into you as a Christian. And now you have been given a divine power to live this godly life. But what Peter was dealing with back in his day was, eh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how you live. Do what you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Doesn't matter. Just treat people any way you want. Doesn't matter. Just take, you know, whatever the world has to offer for it, to offer to you. Just take it, use it, benefit from it, and then one day you'll die. Enjoy. Have a great life. And Peter is saying, no. You have been given a divine power. And this divine power allows us to live a godly life. I hear a lot from Christians who tell me, you know, Pastor, I have this sin in my life. I have an anger issue, or I've got a porn problem, or I'm a gossip, or I'm a glutton, or whatever that sin issue is. And I hear it again and again and again. It's like, well, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm just always going to have this. And I sit in my office and I try with the best of my ability to be loving and pastoral in those moments. And, and I, I, my Bible's on my table, the one that's all highlighted and circled and kind of falling apart. And I pick it up and I kind of go, um, 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 I don't see that in here. That you're just, that your sin's just not some big deal. That, eh, I'm just always going to have it. Who cares? You have been given a divine power to live a godly life. You have been cleaned up. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. When God looks at you, he doesn't see some child under the wrath of God. He sees a child of God who's been adopted into his family. And he calls us and equips us and empowers us to live that life as his children. It's important to Peter because it's important to God. And so we're going to actually take communion together now in the middle of this message because I don't think I can continue in this text until we can just spend some time together reflecting on what Jesus has done. That not only did Jesus die for our sins 
so that we can go to heaven. Jesus died, was resurrected, ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he speaks on your behalf. He's your advocate. That's what it means. You have a lawyer in heaven saying this person is amazing. (laughs) This person is awesome because they're mine. He sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to you, and you are a temple of the living God. You have received power. You know, we sing this song, you know, like the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us, lives in us. Easy to sing. It's reality. (laughs) That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus has accomplished. You are a new creation. So as we take this bread and as we take this cup, I want you to remember that. That that is what his death accomplished. Not just a path to get out of hell, but a new life, an abundant life, a changed life that God has promised you. And a life that is lived on purpose. Not your purpose, all these things that just keep you busy, but God's purpose for your life. So I'm going to call Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Paul says that we put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We live different because we've been cleaned up. We live different because we're cleaned up. The second thing that Peter addresses in this letter here is that we live differently because we're built up. We live different because we're built up. Right? Peter continues and he says, you know, for this reason, for the reason that we participate in the divine nature of God, we are called to grow in maturity. We grow as Christians. We're built up as Christians. Right? I love how he, here in verse 5, he says, for this very reason, the very reason that we are in, that, so that we have this divine nature in us, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Think about that. Look at, look at these words. Make every effort to add to your faith. So wait a minute. Isn't my faith in Jesus enough? Peter here says add to it. Make an effort to add to your faith. This is an important thing to grasp because here's the reality. Um, Satan and his demons have faith in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They know who he is. They know he's the son of God. They know he's going to have victory at the end of days. So faith on its own might not be enough. We see this in the book of James. If you have faith, but it doesn't do anything, it may not be enough. Peter says we have to make every effort to add to our faith. And this is, this is the whole idea of discipleship. And I love the fact that he uses the word effort. Because isn't it an effort to read your Bible every day? Oh, it's just me. Okay, no one else is raising their hand. Okay, it's just me. I'm the only one who has a hard time with this. I'm the only one who has a hard time praying every day. I'm the only one who has a hard time kind of reaching out to lost people and sharing my faith with them. I'm the only one. You know what I mean? I'm being a little bit snarky right now. We all have a problem with this. It's effort. It takes effort to commit, 
to go to a life group every week. Well, but pastor, I can't go to a life group. I'm busy. I have other stuff that's more important. Oh, pastor, I can't volunteer and help out. I'm busy. I can't mentor someone. I'm busy. I don't have time to be mentored. I'm too busy. The idolatry of busy is keeping us from making every effort to grow in our faith. And I believe the devil loves it when Christians are busy. Because look what he wants us to grow into. He says that we add to our faith, we're adding goodness. That as we trust the divine power in us, that we're going to grow in our goodness. And as we grow in our goodness, we're going to grow in our knowledge. As we grow in knowledge, we're going to grow in self-control. As we grow in self-control, we're going to grow in perseverance. When all the bad stuff of the world happens, we can persevere through it. As we persevere, we're going to grow in godliness. As we grow in godliness, we're going to grow in mutual affection. We're going to actually love Christians. The people who sometimes drive us batty. We're going to learn to love each other in mutual affection. And as the church learns to love each other, then it's going to spill out and we're going to grow in love. Right? The Apostle Paul talks about this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May your love increase you can never stop growing in love. So you go, eh, I love enough. I'm kind of good with the level that I love at right now. I'm just going to stop there. No, we can keep increasing in this. Our mutual affection for one another, but it overflows as we're loving each other, and it flows outside of the walls of this building to have a love for people who don't know God. Who do we as Christians have permission to hate based on these verses? What group of people do we as Christians have permission to despise because of these verses? The answer is no one. The answer is no one. Why does a world outside of the church know exactly what we hate? Why do they know that? Maybe because we've not followed this in our busyness, in the reality, the knowledge of God returning soon. We've forgotten we're supposed to be ambassadors of love. I was reminded during the break, there is one group of people that the church is called that we have permission to hate. You want to know who that group is? Teachers who get into the church and lead the church astray. Let them be accursed. If I start teaching anything that's not in this book, fire me, you have my blessing to do so. Let that person be accursed for leading the church astray. That's it. It's not the outside world. We're called to judge ourselves. We're called to judge us. And not the church down the road. Our church. How are we doing on this? Right? We live different because we are called to be built 
up. When we lose the importance that Jesus is returning soon, we will be distracted and busy with stuff that at the end of the day does not matter. All the sport trophies that we get, all the diplomas that we receive, all of the accolades that we get from humankind, all of those things will be burned away. All of them. Now, these are good things. There's nothing wrong with them. But if we become so busy in this, that we forget that Jesus is returning, that we are called to be ambassadors of love in the world, we get so busy. We forget that we're actually built up to love more. What happens in the church is we as Christians, we love our Bible studies. And we love our conferences. And we love our ministry. And we're so busy studying the Bible, going to conferences, reading books, reading podcasts, serving and working. And if those things are not causing us to increase in love, stop them. If your Bible study is not helping you become a loving, more loving person, you're doing something wrong. It shouldn't make you hate people more. It shouldn't make you despise other denominations more. (laughs) When we're studying this stuff and being built up, the end conclusion of being built up is to be loving more, increase in love because of that divine nature in us. We have to ask ourselves, am I too busy to make every effort to be built up in love? That's what we're called to. And then finally, what Peter talks about in here is that we live different because we're called out. We're called out. I love here what he says in verse 8. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. So he's talking about that list that we've just gone through. The goodness, the self-control, the perseverance, love. You're growing in those things in increased measure. If you do that, that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. There's kind of a big old warning here for the church, that we as the church can actually be ineffective and unproductive if we're focused on the wrong things. If we're not increasing in these things, what are we doing? We can have all these great programs and all of these great services and all these things that we put on, but at the end of the day, it's not accomplishing anything that we see in this list. It's ineffective. It's unproductive. And I love how he continues this. He says, so that we're going to grow in these qualities in increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, knowledge, whenever knowledge is used in the Bible, knowledge always comes with action. Knowledge always comes with action. When you unpack it in the original language. Great way to understand this. I'll speak to men for a moment. Men, if you remember that it's your wedding anniversary, I just had my 19th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. So just imagine for a moment, men, you know it's your anniversary. You've remembered. You didn't forget this year. But you don't do anything. You don't buy flowers. You don't pick up a card. You don't book a dinner. You don't acknowledge the day. How's your wife going to respond to that? Maybe in your marriage, it's not going to matter at all because we never argue and we never have tension in our marriage. Praise be to God for that, right? 
I kind of know in my marriage, if I kind of ignore the anniversary, it's not go well. But I didn't forget. I had full knowledge that it was my anniversary, but I didn't do anything with it. Your knowledge always leads to action. Knowledge implies action, that you're going to do something with this knowledge you have. It's my anniversary. I bought flowers. I went out for dinner. I cleared up my schedule to make sure that we could spend a nice time together. I left my cell phone in the car. (gasps) Praise be to Jesus. That seems crazy. You can't do that in our busy culture. You can. I've actually started on Saturday, turning it off and actually taking Sabbath. We are called to live different because we have been called out as we increase in our knowledge of him who has saved us from our sin. It leads to this life of being called out. We don't want to be ineffective and unproductive as followers of Jesus. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You have a divine purpose in your life. I don't know if you watched the funeral of Billy Graham this week. I did. And one of the commentators made a statement that um, probably we'll never see another man like him again. That we'll probably never see another man like him again that had that kind of impact for the gospel. It just seems like everything in the world worked at that moment to raise up that man to accomplish what God wanted to do. And we may never see that again. And then the commentator said, so it's time for the church to rise up. Time for the church to rise up and to be those ambassadors of love in the world. People who will go into the four corners of our city of our communities, of our families, and preach the gospel. To love on them the way Jesus loves them. That's our mission. Last Sunday evening, we talked as a church at our annual general meeting, and we presented the vision that we feel as elders that God has put on this church. As we've been praying and fasting and looking at the world around us and all the changes that we're seeing in our culture we believe as elders that, that the vision that God has for this church is that God wants Greenbelt to be a vibrant Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel. We believe God has called this church to be a vibrant Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel. What does it mean to be a vibrant Christian? Well, a vibrant Christian is someone who lives differently because they've been cleaned up of their sin. A vibrant Christian is someone who lives differently because they're being built up in their faith. A vibrant Christian is someone who lives differently because they have been called out. It's exactly what Peter describes for us here. So that's what we want to live. If Jesus were to return tonight, what would you do differently today? Maybe some of us have to spend more time with our kids so that they don't... They're not just a good person, but they actually know Christ. Maybe some of us have got to spend more time being built up in our faith. Maybe some of us who have been so blessed need to contribute something back to the work that God wants to do in the world. 
For all of us, it's something different. The challenge for us as we go through this letter for the next few weeks is, what is God calling me to do? Stop being so busy for the things that are going to be burned away. Because Jesus is coming soon. So let's not look busy. Let's do what he actually wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for your word and how it speaks to us. And it speaks to us because it is not just some dead word, dead words on a page. It speaks to us because it is alive. It is, alive. It is active. It, man, it pierces the heart sometimes when we hear these words. And God, thank you for piercing my heart this week through this text. God, I pray that we would be men and women, boys and girls that are engaged to live differently because of the soon return of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we would know that we have been cleaned up, that we have been set free from our sin and we can have victory over that sin. That we are called to be built up, to make some effort to be built up so that we can grow in our knowledge of you. And that, God, that we would live lives that are different as you call us out into our schools, into our workplaces, into our families, into our communities. Because, God, we don't want to just be doing busy work. We want to fulfill your purpose for our lives. As we collect our tithes now, this is a time where those of us who call Greenbelt their home church uh, give uh, through their offering as a spiritual act of worship. And if you're here today and you're a guest, uh, please don't feel any obligation to give unless God puts it on your heart to do so. I'm going to pray for our offering. God, I pray that you would use these gifts, that you would use the tithes of your children to, um, man, just to continue the great work that you're doing all over the city and around the world through the generosity of your children. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship and praise the Father because of what Jesus has done, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Help us know. Know, Lord, how you would call us to live differently because of what Jesus has done and because he will return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.